It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. And I will be moderating as the six people you see here on the stage with me at the Skirbel Center for the Performing Arts at New York University. We have two tables, six debaters, three against three. We'll be debating this motion, Buy American, Hire American Policies Will Backfire. And here, um, you in the audience play a crucial role in this contest because you are the judges. We are polling you both before and after the debate to establish where you stand on our motion Once again, to remind you, our motion is that buy American, hire American policies will backfire. And the side that has changed the most minds, who has moved the largest percentage into their camp in the course of the evening, will be declared uh, our winner. Speaking for the motion first, Douglas Irwin, a professor at Dartmouth College, Free Trade Under Fire is the title of his latest book, and those four words will tell us why he is here to argue for the motion that buy American, hire American policies will backfire. Douglas Irwin. What I'd like to do is uh, remind you of the proposition before you tonight, and that is whether buy American provisions will backfire. In fact, they've already backfired, so you have little choice but to vote for the affirmative. First of all, what is buy American? Buy American is a provision in federal legislation that mandates the purchase of U.S.-made products in government contracts. Now, in some sense, who could be against Buy American? Uh, I want people to buy American products. I want a strong and healthy and vibrant American economy. I want uh, good jobs and good wages for American workers. I think we can all agree on those propositions. But that's not the issue. The debate here tonight is about the means to that laudable end. Buy America may sound like it's a good idea, but the more you think about it, it's actually counterproductive. Let me give you a specific example of what Buy America is. In the economic stimulus bill that we, uh, uh, was passed by Congress earlier this year, one section requires the use of American-made steel in all stimulus-related construction projects unless it costs more than 25% above foreign suppliers. Now, this is a good deal for the American steel industry, but it's a bad deal for the rest of us. By raising the cost of construction projects, our nation can afford fewer of those projects. 
That means fewer jobs will be created with the limited amount of money we have to spend. Picture in your mind for a moment the Bay Bridge in San Francisco. Uh, California had to repair the bridge a few years ago, and the Buy America provisions were in force. The domestic steel bid came in at, guess what, 23% above the foreign bid. Now, why it wasn't 24% above, I don't know. But that added $400 million to the cost of the repair of the bridge. That's almost half a billion dollars for one project. So why do we give U.S. steel producers a 25% handicap against foreign suppliers and other bidders? Well, they were the only industry that was powerful enough to get it into law. It's corporate welfare, pure and simple. Many people think that Buy America is aimed at China. Well, we aimed at China, but we hit Canada. And now we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Canadian governments are boycotting U.S. firms in their infrastructure projects and costing us jobs here in the United States. So in sum, Buy America is not a good idea. It sounds like a good idea, but it's not a good idea. It raises the cost of infrastructure projects. It pads the bottom line of the steel industry. It reduces the number of construction workers we can employ with our precious tax dollars. And when other countries employ their own buy-local provisions, our exporters will be cut out of their lucrative market, those lucrative markets abroad, and will lose even more manufacturing jobs here in the United States. Please vote affirmative. Thank you very much. Thank you, Douglas Irwin. And now to argue against the motion that buy American, hire American policies will backfire, Leo Girard, who is the son of a miner from Canada, and now that he is international president of the United Steelworkers, when he steps up to that microphone, he has 850,000 union members standing behind him, Leo Girard. Thank you very much. I have to tell you that I've discarded a lot of my notes because... Uh, I want to correct the previous speaker. China did win the bid for the Bay Bridge, and the fact of the matter is that the Bay Bridge is now almost eight months behind schedule, and that uh, the the steel that came from China won't hold the weld. And they're not sure if they're going to have to rip it all down and rebuild it. If we talk about what that represents in lost dollars and uh, productivity, it's way more than the number that Doug used. The fact of the matter is that uh, $3 trillion tax dollars per year are spent by the federal government in federal procurement. And no one is saying that you get the uh, money that comes from tax dollars and you use it to buy Chinese goods. And what we've done is we've lost in our manufacturing base from 1949 to 69, manufacturing was 28% of the economy of America. And... We were the world's largest creditor nation. By the time we got to the end of last year, manufacturing was 9% of the economy, and we have now become the world's largest debtor nation. There was all kinds of yelling and screaming when the Buy America provision was made public in the stimulus bill. Like this is something new. There's been Buy America provisions since 1930s. If we go back to the period from 1994 when we abandoned, in a a much more aggressive way, industrial manufacturing in America, in that period of time, America has accumulated a $6.5 trillion trade debt. We've had 25 years in a row, exacerbated since 1994, of year after year after year record-breaking trade deficits. 
All of that because we've abandoned the idea of not only making things in America, but buying things that are made in America. I never heard a word in America when French President Sarkozy said that they're going to stimulate their economy and they're going to stimulate their auto industry on the condition that every taxpayer dollar of French currency that's invested in France is going to go to prop up the French auto industry. And the French auto industry had to commit to no layoffs. Surprisingly, the European economy is bouncing back faster than ours. China has recently announced it intends to dominate the world in renewable energy products. A company called SunTech Power Holdings said in an interview that to build market share, this is, this is what's coming from China, to build market share, it's selling solar panels on the American market for less than the cost of materials, assembly, and shipping. This is a decision made in China. And we're saying that we want to be the leader in renewable energy, but we don't have a program to stimulate demand or to buy renewable energy products that are made in America. Leo Girard, thank you very much. Um, The motion here is that buy American, hire American policies will backfire. And our next debater is going to argue in the affirmative. He thinks that Buy American will backfire, not surprisingly, because he is one of the world's preeminent economists and has long argued that globalization is the world's most powerful force for social good. From Columbia University, Jagdish Bhagwati. Uh, When I was a student at Oxford, one of my professors actually told me that he'd gone to Whitehall to advise, and he was surprised to find that while he thought economics oversimplified things, that in fact people in Whitehall were working with even more simplistic models. Uh, They usually thought X led to Y, and they stopped there. Y leading to Z, Z leading in turn to X, all of that was completely beyond them. They were extremely oversimplified. The problem, I think, with Mr. Girard, as I think as Doug was pointing out, and with the, with the opposing side, basically, is that you think that Buy America will create jobs. First impact, X affects Y. But what does that do to the rest of the system? Because you are then opening up a whole series of additional effects which are actually going to overwhelm the initial primary impact. And that's essentially what we need to focus on. What are these additional effects? One, of course, is that downstream industries typically become more uh, uncompetitive. We know when President Bush put on the steel tariffs in 92, the effect was, in fact, to price out a whole lot of steel-using industries, including autos, which, and the, there is a famous study which shows that about 200,000 jobs may have been lost while we gained a few, uh, basically through protecting steel. So that's point number one. The second point is that you, you get out of this, and still, even if we didn't have this problem, we would have the problem of retaliation. And I would say it's not tit-for-tat retaliation necessarily. It's also monkey-see, monkey-do kind of imitation. We do something, others do the same thing. If you look at the 1930s, it was exactly spreading and diffusion of all kinds of trade barriers, starting out from the Smoot-Hawley, etc. And this, I think, led to essentially what we in economics call a nuclear winter, basically. There was a chaotic outbreak 
of all kinds of uh, trade barriers. That came home to roost in turn on our export performance, on everybody's export performance. And I think this is something we need to remember. And we are actually the biggest traders in the world. Every state has export industries. You have basically, therefore, a lot of your jobs at stake. And those are going to outweigh the few jobs you may save uh, in the, uh, through Buy America provisions. Um, one can easily produce models where international trade actually affects your workers. Uh, that, in fact, the, the, the fear is, on the part of unions, that trade with the poor countries produces paupers in the rich countries. Actually, uh, there's very little evidence uh, of this. In fact, there are studies, including my own, Bob Lawrence at Harvard, which show actually that the pressure on our wages, which is a real problem, and you know, as a Democrat, I'm entirely sympathetic to the problem. That has been brought about by extremely acute labor-saving technical change, by the fact that the unionization has also gone down for reasons which don't have much to do with, with, uh, with globalization or trade. Given that, I think a lot of us have argued with empirical evidence that trade with poor countries has actually kept the, the consumption cost of workers' wages down. So, it, in fact, it is moderated. Jagdish Bhagwati, I'm sorry, your time is up. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Six panelists are arguing for and against the motion, which is, buy American, hire American policies will backfire. Stay with us. Welcome back to another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. The proposition we are debating here is buy American, hire American policies will backfire. We have six panelists, three against three. And next to speak against the motion, buy American, hire American policies will backfire, John R. MacArthur, known as Rick. He is president and publisher of Harper's Magazine, the oldest continuously published monthly magazine in America and also one of the most progressive. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick MacArthur. May I make a cheap debater's point right at the outset and say that Professor Irwin has already veered off the proposition. Uh, it, this is a, the question I thought that, that was put was by American policies, not the by American provision in the legislation that just passed uh, six or eight months ago. Uh, and if we're going to discuss this broadly, we have to talk about tariffs versus free trade, protectionism versus free trade. That's what we're really talking about here. Now, let's admit on the protectionist side that buy American policies are indirect tariffs, indirect subsidies, whatever you want to call them. And there are many statistics to support the protectionist model. Uh, we can cite some spectacularly successful protectionist schemes. Mexico, poor, beleaguered, exploited Mexico in the 50s, 60s, and 70s had a program called Import Substitution, or a technical way of saying, buy Mexican. And Mexico enjoyed the highest growth rates in its history uh, through the 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, of roughly, I think, averaging about 7%. It's probably not a coincidence that in 1945, the average U.S. tariff on dutiable imports was 28%. And in the same year, manufacturing employment, which, as you all know, pays better than working at Walmart, 
manufacturing employment as a percentage of total U.S. employment was 35%. It's also likely not a coincidence that in 2008, the average tariff on dutiable imports was 4%. By the way, these are Professor Irwin's numbers. And in the same year, manufacturing employment as a percentage of total U.S. employment was just under 10%. Again, these are anecdotal, uh, this is anecdotal evidence. I don't pretend it's scientific. But in 1979, the year in which manufacturing employment peaked in the United States, the median weekly earnings for all U.S. workers in 2009 were $716.47. In the second quarter of 2009, uh, the median weekly earnings for U.S. workers were $734, just slightly above. So uh, we can make the argument that a pro-free trade, lower tariff uh, economy has possibly contributed to the stagnation of wages. I think we can say anecdotally that because manufacturing employment has declined and manufacturing jobs pay better than service jobs, generally speaking, this has contributed to the stagnation of wages. Thank you. Our next debater, Susan Schwab, was, to any of our international trading partners, the face of U.S. trade, holding, as she did, the post of United States Trade Representative in the George W. Bush administration. That is a cabinet-level position. She saw firsthand government thinking on trade, and she also influenced it. And now at the University of Maryland, she is here to argue that buy American, hire American policies will backfire. Susan Schwab. Buy American? Buy American sounds like motherhood and apple pie. And unfortunately, buy American policies hurt America and hurt Americans. And we have history to point to, and we have the fact that the United States has to export to grow, and the fact that the risk of retaliation is very, very real indeed. Let's start with history. No country, no country has ever reached or sustained a level of prosperity with economic isolationism as their policy, with trade protectionism as their policy, with binational policies. In fact, if you look at the 1990s, the countries that grew the fastest in the 1990s were countries that opened their markets, followed our lead, by the way, opening our markets. They grew three times faster than the countries that did not open their markets. 95% of the world's population, meaning the world's consumers, live outside of our borders. Those are our customers. And if anyone thinks that we Americans have enough money to buy our way to recovery and to future competitiveness without exports, you've got another thing coming. $3.5 trillion will be spent in the next several years by other countries on stimulus globally. We need a piece of that. This issue, this canard, uh, that we don't manufacture anything is utterly absurd. Some of you may be surprised to know that the United States remains the single biggest manufacturer in the world, bar none. $1.7 trillion in manufactured outputs. China is a distant second at $1.3 trillion, with Japan and Germany following up to the rear. One in six... Manufacturing jobs depends on exports. Six million U.S. jobs depend on manufactured good exports. And if you look at U.S. economic growth, you discover that our manufacturing is, in fact, 20% of our GDP, not 9%. 
and it continues to grow, our manufacturing output. Retaliation. Retaliation is not some myth. Retaliation is, re- is very, very real. Not only did we see it um, after Smoot-Hawley, we saw it after the Buy America language. It is not coincidence that within six weeks of the Buy America legislation on the stimulus package moving through the United States Congress, it is not coincidence that the Chinese suddenly decided to let their provinces favor local companies. Because before that, a lot of Americans were starting to make a lot of money in those markets. Buy American sounds good, good sound bite, bad policy, hurts America, hurts American jobs. Thank you. And finally, speaking against the motion, buy American, hire American policies will backfire, Jeff Madrick, a business journalist and visiting professor at the Cooper Union. In the mid-1990s, he predicted the end of affluence with a bestseller that went by that very name. His latest book, The Case for Big Government, the title alone tells you much about his political take on the world, as he argues now against the motion. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Madrick. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I'm a little tired of being given simplistic examples of where buying, say, steel in the U.S. Will, re- will raise construction costs and therefore cost American jobs. The fact of the matter is, despite what Professor Bhagwati said and despite his own studies, most studies find a direct negative impact from free trade on wages and on the creation of jobs. Most studies, I believed in Ricardian economics, I still do. Exchange is the key to economic growth. You have something I want, I want something, I have something you want. It leads to economic growth, but it is a narrow idealistic theory in a very complex world. First, the fiscal policy becomes necessarily ineffective when, we, when 20 to 30 to 40 percent of every dollar we spend to pump up our economy in a recessionary emergency leaks overseas. Will there be a trade war? Darn it, I am tired of these scare tactics. I'm tired of claiming there will be a repeat of the 1930s. Is China up in arms against this policy? I suspect China is now willing to talk a little bit because they see maybe President Obama is ever so slightly serious about imposing rights he was given in international treaties into which China agreed. Don't think this this side of the podium is fighting an uphill battle. They won. They've won for decades. Tariffs have come down significantly. And where does America stand in terms of wages? You think, judging by what some of them said, we're doing great. The median male worker in America today makes less than the median male worker after inflation did in the 1970s. Think about that. Wages are supposed to keep up with productivity. What's going on? Is free trade part of this? I think it is part of it. Is it all of it? No. Is it most of it? It may not even be most of it. But it's probably some of it, and we've got to start thinking about that. (laughs) 
I'm John Donvan, your moderator for this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Our motion is buy American, hire American policies will backfire. We have six panelists, three arguing for the motion and three against. Now, before the debate, we polled our live audience here uh, on where they stood on this debate, and I now have the results and will report them. Once again, the motion is buy American, hire American policies will backfire. Before the debate, 57% of you agreed with the motion, 20% of you were against the motion, and 23% were undecided. We will poll you again at the end of the debate, and the side that has moved the most votes, that has changed the most minds, will be declared our winner. Doug Irwin of Dartmouth College, you are arguing for the motion that Buy American will backfire. You, You actually went as far as saying it has already backfired. I heard your opponent on the other side, Rick MacArthur, uh, and, and his colleagues argue repeatedly that Buy American works and Buy Our Own Stuff works for lots of other countries who are doing it already. That's why they do it. Uh, Rick MacArthur cited Mexico. It has worked for Mexico. If it works for Mexico, why not make the argument that it works here as well? Well, I wouldn't grant the premise that it worked for Mexico. In fact, what did that lead to? Huge debt crisis in 1982, huge collapse of the growing middle class, huge economic problems, which is one reason why they chose to uh, embrace economic openness uh, after the early 1980s. There's been tremendous economic growth in India, tremendous economic growth in China. The biggest change in the globe has been happening in those regions where there's hundreds of millions of people moving into the middle class. They're able to do that because of trade openness. And yes, They're able to do that because it's a mercantilist policy, Doug. Oh, they're, so they're, China... They're, 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 able, they're able to do that because they subsidize their markets. They're able to do that because they manipulate their currency. And, the and, issue, they, and they get away with it because... Excuse me, Leo. Because, let me finish. I'm not finished. They, well, they, I wasn't they finished get either. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I was told I could interrupt you when you were wrong, Doug. I'm, I'm, I'm glad Leo Girard of the uh, Steelworkers Union jumped in because one of the points that was raised by your opponents as you argue against this motion that Buy American will backfire, they raise the argument that steel products from abroad may be better and may be cheaper, and why should Americans have to pay more for their steel if they can get it better and cheaper abroad? Well, first of all, it's certainly not better, and in some cases it is cheaper, but I come back to the point that Doug raised about the Bay Bridge. Uh, We have uh, had red lead in steel that we've had to ship back because... We banned red lead in America 30 years ago because of its health hazards. Uh, And we pay a price for doing that. We pay a price for clean water. We pay a price for all those things in the kind of society we want. We found that China was shipping that. We found that China was shipping steel pipes with radiation in it because they were doing it from melted pipes with radioactive material in it and shipping it. We found that, as I said, and I, and I... but that, that's an argument that you can buy junky stuff abroad. Well, that, that, that's, and, that's, and, that's, well that's the, but Doug, there are, that's the argument that we have a set of laws and rules, and we're a rules-based and, and uh, trading system, but we're the only one right now playing by the rules. Too. Let me hear for the side for, for the motion in response to that. There's nothing which prevents you from applying safety standards, and we are doing that all the time. So the fact that some Chinese imports or any other imports, including our exports, get caught in the safety net doesn't mean that Buy America is good. I mean, that's simply a non sequitur. But what it does is it it adds cost because we have rules, and then you come to us and say, well, your costs are higher. Well, we have rules. Susan Schwab. Leo, 
and, and I, I would note, Doug never got a chance to finish what he was saying. <laughs> I'm glad you're standing up there. Um, no, I mean, the point is, we can get off on this long tangent about Chinese trade policies. Uh, first of all, that is not the issue at hand. The resolution talks about buy American policies, high American po- higher American policies will backfire. But in terms of China, I have taken on Chinese trade practices, and we've got legislation to do that. We took six cases against the Chinese in the Bush administration. We won or settled every one of those cases, got rid of illegal Chinese subsidies. Um, we managed to get the markets open where they were artificially closing them. But there it, are, but I'm sorry, there are statutes for anti-dumping. There are statutes for countervailing duties. There are lots and lots of statutes. Buy American legislation does not resolve any you know, single Susan, one yes. of the issues, excuse Susan, me, the problem that the other side has been talking about. Dumping goes on, subsidies go on, and this recession, by all reports mm-hmm. I've heard, China is really pushing out the exports as, uh, uh, as, uh, and some of the practices are open. This is part of what I mean. This is what I'm talking about, about this oversimplification. To say that we can handle these issues in the International Labor Organization or through agreements we make with China disregarding the reality of the world. I am, I, we're not even close to fighting a trade war. We're, it's not even close. China needs us. We need them. But it, we've got to start dealing with the reality of what's happened to wages in America. And, Doug, things have become extremely imbalanced in this world you're describing of China. Let's let Doug Irwin in now. Extremely imbalanced. That's great. In fact, Doug Irwin of Dartmouth College. I'm actually one of the few, uh, maybe trade economists, that believes the trade deficit has become a problem. So the question is, how do you deal with it? Buy America will not deal with it. It's not the right approach. Why do we have a huge trade deficit with China? What what do we do with our dollars in the United States? 70% of U.S. GDP is consumption. 70%. What is the share of consumption in China? 30%. 30%. They are a high-savings country. We are a low-savings country. We are a high-consumption country. They are a low-consumption country. That is the ultimate source of yeah, the trade deficit. You know, it's you not know, unfair trade practices. It's not all this other stuff. And if, you know, and but, Jeff, let me bring in your colleague because we haven't heard from him As yet. long as John you give me Rick a Arth. chance. No, I'm sorry. Rick, Rick MacArthur, come on in. Obviously, uh, using tariffs and buy American pr- provisions are artificial uh, methods that you install in an economy to, we hope, maintain wages at a, at a, at a relatively high level so we can uh, run a civilized society. We haven't had one exchange yet about the exploitation of cheap labor. Uh, when I have arguments with my friends on the, uh, in the economics departments of these various universities, I have to ask myself if they've ever met a factory worker. Have they ever talked to a steel worker or to an auto worker or to an electri- electrical worker who's lost their job uh, because the United States has been pursuing pro-buy-foreign uh, policies for the last uh, 15 years. That's what we have right now with NAFTA and the permanent normal trade relations with China. These are, as Professor Bhagwati will be the first to acknowledge, preferential uh, trade agreements, not free trade agreements, and something has to be done on our side to compensate for these tremendous advantages given to foreign manufacturers. Yes, some of it's low-end manufacturing, but not all of it is low-end manufacturing. And let's so, keep outsourcing. So, so this critique seems to say to the side arguing for the motion that free trade, as you describe it, is a farce. Well, let, let us note, again, you're going to come back and remind everyone what this debate is actually supposed to be about. 
buy American, hire American. The other side is meandering. I want to go in that direction and talk about trade agreements because what, what Rick has been saying about trade agreements just isn't borne out by the facts. If you look at the agreements that we've negotiated, you find that U.S. exports to our trade agreement partners have gone up 40% faster. They are than fake our exports. 40% Madam. faster. <laughs> fake exports. Go talk to GE and Caterpillar uh, Jeff, and UPS. Susan, Je- Susan Jeff. Point of order. you got to really. Let me finish the you thought. You can't say this. You can. You, well, this you is not true. utter nonsense. I'll let you respond. Let, let me just, I want let me just on this too. I can say it because it is a fact. And in fact, if you just look at the trade agreements that we negotiated during the Bush administration, U.S. exports have gone up 80% faster to those countries than the rest of the world. You, you've, heard the, you've heard the expression industrial tourism, I'm sure. The, 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 the surge in exports of the United States to Mexico are fake exports. It's us sending components uh, to Mexico for assembly, and we're counting those as exports, and they come right back into the United States for sale. There's no added value to speak of in those exports. I'm John Donvan. And you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Six panelists are arguing for and against the motion, which is, buy American, hire American policies will backfire. Stay with us. I'm John Donvan, correspondent for ABC News Nightline and host and moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating. The motion is... Buy American, hire American policies will backfire. Welcome back to the program. Leo Gerard of the Steelworkers. A couple of quick points. Our exports have gone up, but our imports more than doubled. So we, when we signed, we do NAFTA. When we signed NAFTA, we had a slight trade surplus with Mexico. Ten years after NAFTA, we've had record trade deficits year after year with Mexico. We're now setting record trade a deficit with China. China's trade deficit year over year is 70% of our overall trade deficit. Today we what, have a manufacturing... And the one thing that we were told, we need to get trained for these high-tech computer jobs. Well, you know what? We've now got a deficit in advanced technology products. So the high-end jobs that we were told we would train for are gone. The, when we lose the industrial base of America... We lose the creativity and the innovation and the engineering and all of the stuff that takes us to the next level. I think Question from a, the audience. We, we, um, we gentleman in the white a... shirt, please. Right behind you. If these foreign countries can produce steel, like POSCO in Korea can produce steel better than U.S. Steel or Nucor can, then why are we going to reward mediocrity? Why are we going to reward the inefficiency of the American system when we can get, when we should give incentives to the American companies to become as efficient as these foreign com- companies. Let's give that question to Leo Girard of the Steelworkers. The, uh, the, the, the problem with that question is it's, it's living in facts that were probably from the 1970s and early 80s. And, and the fact is, the, well, by, 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 the ta- by, the time, by the time we got to the economic collapse of last fall, last uh, year, American steel was the cheapest of ma- any major industrial country. And American steel sold in America was cheaper than Chinese steel sold in China. And the reason for that is that China doesn't have sufficient raw material. Think about this if we talk about a, a sort of a level playing field. From 2003, roughly late 2002, to 2007, 
China went from being able to produce 150 million tons of steel to 500 million tons of steel. In, in a traditional system using traditional finance, they could have never generated enough profits and they could have never accessed enough capital markets to make that kind of investment to do that to their industry in a period of roughly five years. That was done because they got subsidies, they got cheap money, they got free land, they got no enforcement, they got uh, free transportation, they got export subsidies. When they exported stuff to us, they got the money back and they generated that. And it's a mercantile system. I'm not angry at China. I would be in favor. I'm not angry at China. They decided to do that so they could grow their steel industry. We decided to punish our steel industry and reward those that take jobs offshore with giving them tax breaks. Okay, the side for the motion wants to respond but, to that. But we, we pay a lot of subsidies, too, Tuggies usually at the state and local level. They add up to huge amounts. I mean, people like Mayor Bloomberg even announced with great glee that we managed to, to attract industry, you know, to, to, to New York. And all the governors compete for it also. So I think, actually, we, we don't have clean hands either. So, you know, for us to say others are subsidizing and we are not, I was just dealing with the steel question. He, asked, he asked me a steel question. I don't think we ought to subsidize each other at all. We're at NYU at the moment, which happens to have a very modern law faculty with global faculty, global students. And I think they know something. America is a big, complex, influential place. It's the epicenter of financial crisis. It's in the middle of political and social change. And I think America needs the talents of the world. I was wondering if the opposition have admitted from the start that they're at most only half right in this debate, or will they defend a higher American policy? The question is, you're not just talking about buy American, but higher yeah, American. I'm intrigued. You, you seem to think that, that America... Jeff Madrick. The, the implication of what you're saying is that the credit crisis was somehow caused by people who don't believe in market processes. The credit crisis was caused, I think most people believe, or at least in large part... Uh, was caused because of lack of government uh, intervention and because the, of the inefficiencies. Free trade theory is a precise analogy to efficient market financial theory. Can I, can I get back to the question? Please do. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair point. Let, let me just say that I'm myself an immigrant, okay? Uh, I don't think I've done much harm to this country. And I think no, to, no. to indulge in, you know, Listen, this is hiring craziness. aliens last and firing them first, the sort of movements which are going on are, not, are, are extremely un-American and also extremely inefficient. We have really prospered on the... I mean, no, we, no, all right, no Leo, Leo Girard, take that on. I, I, don't, I don't know where this argument came from. That I, I, don't know, I don't know anyone who's against immigration. What, 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 what I am against... What I am against is when Microsoft will want to bring in engineers from India that will work for $12,000 while they're laying off computer engineers that were getting paid $60,000. Now, I'm all for, obviously, as you are, yeah. I'm all for the ability to come here and, and work within the system at the system that is, but don't use me to come in and drive down wages of computer engineers or anyone else. When Intel, Bill Gates, etc., go out and get people from, say, India, the vast majority of those people are fantastically able. They're trained at the best institutions Absolutely. in the country. So we're going out and looking for enormous talent. Absolutely. The, we should pay them I, enormous I'm salaries. I'm a professor, as you know. And in, in every class, there is a tale of about 30% 
who really should never have been admitted, but somehow managed to get in. Uh, everywhere. I've taught at uh, MIT, I've taught at Columbia, everywhere it's the same. But I would just say one thing, which is that there are people who could be employed, but who are kind of at the bottom end. They're not really comparable to the kinds of people we're going out and getting. And I think the other people will find their own way at job, in jobs which are more appropriate to their qualifications. That's, that's, le- that's legal immigration. The gentleman who's standing with the microphone. Thanks. Um, let's stipulate that the effect of impeding lower-cost goods is higher prices for goods, tires, pickup trucks, et cetera. In fact, that is the purpose of protectionist policies on their face, is to prop up prices, in turn propping up wages. What is the ethical justification for transferring money from the broad American population to workers in specific industries, which is, again, unarguably the, cost of, uh, the effect of impeding lower-cost imports. That is the same kind of argument that was used against labor uni- unionization throughout American economic history. What is the ethical argument for wa- uh, raising wages above some supposed, and I would argue hypothetical, market rate of wages? The fact is, the assumption behind, and I see you smiling there, the assumption behind your, the, the assumption behind your comment is that these markets work very well, reflect costs. The people without labor unions, it's, uh, to continue with that analogy, will always get what they're worth, and everybody will do well. That's just not, unfortunately, the way it works. It works maybe in your classroom but it doesn't work in the real world. And, and, we've had and, a long and that concludes history. round two of our Just debate. Uh, we're, we're now in the home stretch, and in a very uh, short time, you, the audience, will be deciding who has won this debate. But I want to recall that at the beginning, we asked you whether you agreed or disagreed with our motion that buy American, hire American policies will backfire. At the beginning, 57% of you agreed with the motion, 20% disagreed, and 23% were undecided. In just a few minutes, we'll be asking you for a final time, and your response is going to determine the winner. But first, we want to start round three closing statements. It's their last chance to change your minds. Our motion, once again, is buy American, hire American policies will backfire. And speaking against our motion and summing up, Leo Girard, international president of the United Steelworkers. Leo? During the period of time that we've adopted the philosophy that the other side is, is defending, and, and you can't defend that without talking about the issues of trade overall. During the period of time that we've entered into that uh, blind drive to that kind of a trade and investment ideology in manufacturing. America has gone from being the world's largest creditor nation to the world's largest debtor nation. Wages of average Americans have stagnated and fallen. That the industrial strength of America has gone from being sapped Uh, at 28% at one time, now down to 9%. We've had an accumulated trade debt that no one on the other side has tried to defend of $6.5 trillion. I think that the way we do that is we develop a strategy that's going to rebuild the American industrial base, and we have to do that by focusing not just on subsidies, but innovation, creativity, and demanding that our trading partners level the playing field, and we're not going to be able to win 
against unfair trade, and we shouldn't pretend we Leo can. Leo Gerard, your time is up. Thank you very much. <laughs> Summarizing for the motion, Buy American, Hire American Policies Will Backfire, here is Douglas Irwin, Professor of Economics at Dartmouth College. Well, first of all, just in terms of the proposition uh, before the House, um, I think they have backfired. I think that's demonstrable. I think you have no choice but to vote affirmative. I happen to think that the remedies they're suggesting are wrong, will backfire, and actually don't really address the underlying problem. We've talked about the declining share of workers in manufacturing. Manufacturing is a victim of its own success. A century ago, a third of the workforce in the United States was in agriculture. Now it's about 2%. Why? Because the productivity of the American farmers is absolutely astronomical. The same thing has happened with American factories. They're churning out stuff, and we just need fewer workers. They're much more capital-intensive. It's productivity. But there's no denying that trade destroys jobs in certain import-competing industries, but it creates jobs elsewhere. The question is the balance. Guess what? Technology destroys jobs. What's happened to all the bank tellers? What's happened to all the secretaries? Do we stop technology? No, we have to adjust to it and become a better society for it. I do believe the trade deficit is a problem, but it's not mercantilism of China or what have you. Thank you. Summarizing against the motion that Buy American, Hire American Policies will backfire, John R. MacArthur, known as Rick MacArthur, president and publisher of Harper's Magazine. If we don't start buying American soon or doing something, uh, installing some kind of compensatory uh, uh, tariffs, Buy American uh, provisions, and I'll acknowledge to the other side that the tariff, uh, such as it is, has been corruptly applied throughout the decades and the centuries that we've had it, uh, but that generally speaking, there has to be some kind of compensation for American policy that has favored uh, the production of things that used to be made here by cheap labor in foreign countries where you cannot organize a union and you have no environmental protection agency. But even if you don't feel an ethical obligation to your fellow citizens or to the poor workers working for 30 cents an hour in uh, in uh, China or $1.25 an hour in Mexico, even if you have no concern, ethical concern about them, uh, I urge you to uh, uh, come over to our side, vote for our side out of enlightened self-interest, because if we, don't, if we don't do something to compensate for these pro-cheap labor, pro-outsourcing policies we've been pursuing for the last 20 years particularly, but really since the war, uh, we're going to end up with a, a political vacuum that will be filled not by a nice civilized businessman like Ross Perot, but by a very ugly right-wing populist. Thank you, John MacArthur. <laughs> Summarizing for the motion in this Intelligence Squared debate, where their motion is by American higher American policies will backfire, Jagdish Bhagwati, University Professor of Economics and Law at Columbia University. Um, let me first focus on by America. Uh, provisions, because that's really what the motion is about. Uh, and there, I, I would just simply say that while immediately you, you see that you're saving some jobs, you're losing many more because of the downstream effects, retaliation effects, diffusion of um, protectionism effects. By the time you've added it up, you're losing far more than you're gaining. And I think it is being penny-wise and pound-foolish. And that's the fundamental point we need to understand. The second point relates to the more general issue of protectionism, which has come up from the other side. Uh, and I think certainly Mr. Girard, and I think to some extent the other uh, uh, people on the other side, have been focusing on the fear 
that trade is actually putting downward pressure on the wages of our workers. As a Democrat, I'm certainly concerned about it, and I think most people are concerned about it. I mean, these are the bottom 30%. The only question is whether protectionism is the answer. And I think what is going on, basically, is that massive technological change is going on, uh, and I think we need to worry about that and how to adapt to that. And if we don't do that, we are not going to get an appropriate answer to the problem. Thank you very much. Summarizing his position against our motion, Jeff Madrick, senior fellow at the Schwartz Center for Economic Policy Analysis at the New School. Jeff Madrick. Thank you. The first narrow motion by American High, uh, Higher American will not have a reverse impact. It's a rather small issue. What it will do is allow our stimulus to work effectively. That is our first priority. The way it's now structured, our stimulus to get ourselves out of this recession will leak badly overseas. Uh, The opposition has talked about how it will inevitably cost jobs. The fact is that both theory and most empirical studies suggest that more jobs are lost than the opposition is acknowledging. In fact, on balance, the theory says a significant portion of jobs or wages are lost in this kind of situation. And balance, the whole wage package may be higher, but the distribution of those wages changes. The way to respond to change is through active government working with business, active incentives. And this kind of argument has diminished our ability to do that in America. Thank you, Jeff Madrick. And finally, speaking for the motion, Buy American, Higher American Policies will backfire. Here is Susan Schwab, former U.S. Trade Representative. The other side has sort of been bobbing and weaving about the topic on the debate, so I'm, I'm forced to address just a couple of issues here. On the ethics of open trade, the fact that there have been 600 million people brought out of poverty in China and India, in part because they have opened their markets uh, over the last two decades, I think is a very strong, positive note how important trade can be and their potential new customers of ours. We remain the single largest manufacturer in the world. We want to be selling those turbines, those earth movers, uh, that transportation equipment, the aircraft. It's very, very important. And we care as much about U.S. jobs as the other side. However, not a single solitary one of the arguments that they have made would create a single job. And in fact, if you look at the proposition here, The proposition here would destroy Buy American, Higher American policies we have been able to show, without question, would destroy more jobs than it would create. It sounds patriotic. In fact, Buy American, Higher American policies hurt America, hurt Americans. Clearly, the vote has to be on which side uh, has convinced you that the policies will create more jobs Uh, and more opportunities for Americans. Clearly, that is a vote in the alternative because Buy American policies have and have already failed. Thank you, Susan Schwab. And that concludes the debating portion of our program. It is now time to learn who has won this debate. Our concluding numbers are these. When you came in and voted beforehand, 57% of you were for the motion, 20% of you were against, and 73% were undecided. After the debate, 72% are for, 14% against, 14% undecided. The side arguing for the motion wins. Congratulations to that team. 
Thank you for me, John Donvan, for Intelligence Squared U.S. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, presented by the Rosencrantz Foundation, was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whitmore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.intelligencesquared.org. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR, National Public Radio. 